1980, in Duncan, British Columbia, Canada, a brilliant mechanical engineer claims to have visions from alien entities. He writes a will, giving all of his possessions to his mother, and then he disappears. What happened? You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Granger Taylor. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement. Somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. We are back. One take coach on the opening, man. He's uh, suffering from severe internal bleeding due to a <laughs> malfunction with the board. That oh, my him. dude. To describe the sound that went into my ears because of your screw up. You're right. It was all oh me. Oh, my God. It was the highest. Pi- I th- honestly think that it did uh, permanent damage. Like, And I'm not making a joke at this point. I th- honestly, it was that loud. It still hurts. <laughs> but like a trooper, you're back. What are we drinking there, slap nut? Tonight we're drinking Molson Ice because everybody knows Canadian beers like moonshine. Damn right. <laughs> you ain't getting none in the States, boy. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, no new uh, patrons this week, but we have made the migration. We are available on at least on 10 different platforms for your listening entertainment. For your listening pleasure. So with that, we have picked up where we left off from our other hosting service. We have, um, we're trucking right along. Almost to 95,000 total downloads in just over two years. Now, I thought we already had over, you told me we had over 100 like a month ago. I didn't say 100. Yes, you did. I said 90. Yes, you did. But still, 95,000 in two years is pretty good, honestly. Especially since we have zero sponsors. Yeah, and the fact that uh, there's about, I don't know, four and a half million podcasts out there. So we appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you. Keep listening. If you haven't listened to our last episode, the interview with Jennifer Bucos, I recommend you do because she, A, she's brilliant, and B, she she's not going to be giving interviews anymore because she is signed for a documentary. She's going to be famous. She's going to be famous. Uh, the one thing I can say about Miss Bucholtz is it's not often you get someone that is intelligent as she is and down to earth as she is. She was easy to talk to. She is brilliant. Look up her pedigree. But like Coach said, that may be the last interview she gives on the Zodiac because the documentary is about to be signed this coming week, which when you hear this will be several weeks prior, but we will have Miss Bucholtz back on to do an update for our Rebecca Gould case, 
If you've not listened to that episode, I recommend you do. It's back in our first year, I think episode 30-something. But anyway, let's get to it. Today, tonight, wherever, what time you are listening, we are dealing with a strange one. On this podcast? I know that's hard to believe. I couldn't. I don't, man, I don't believe that. But we are talking about Granger Ormond Taylor. He was born on October 7th, 1948 in the town of Duncan, British Columbia. Now, Duncan is a logging and fishing town located on the southeastern shores of Vancouver Island, about halfway between Victoria and Nanaimo. Yep. Yep. I've been to Victoria. If you have a chance, freaking go. It's beautiful. Now, when Granger was between the ages of two and three, his father passed away in a tragic drowning on Horn Lake, which lied to the northwest of Duncan. The family was on vacation at the time at their cabin, and his father tragically drowned. Now, Granger's mother, Grace, remarried to a man named Jim Taylor, and Jim had two children from a previous marriage, giving Granger three biological siblings, three step-siblings, and a half-brother. So there was lots of little children running around the old Taylor residence. Now, it became apparent that Granger was different than the rest of the children his age. Grace and Jim would state that he was withdrawn and socially awkward. Granger, however, was brilliant when it came to mechanical things. He would spend most of his time in his room taking apart his toys to see how they worked. Granger did not care for school and dropped out after his eighth grade year. He began working as an apprentice for a neighbor who had an auto mechanic shop. Now, the neighbor stated that Granger was like a sponge when it came to learning from him. And after a year, Granger decided that he had learned all he needed to and set up his own shop at his parents' barn. There, he would build unconventional things that he would later sell to collectors and the provincial government, provincial government, (laughs) for large sums of money. At the age of 14, he built a single-cylinder automobile, which was promptly put on exhibit at the Duncan Forest Museum. And at 17, he managed to rebuild a bulldozer that more seasoned mechanics had long since given up on. In 1969, while still in his early 20s, Granger plowed a trail through over half a mile of dense forest in order to get to the remains of a locomotive that had been abandoned during the Great Depression and left to rot. What was left of the train was nothing normal. I'm sorry, what was left of the train was not anything a normal mechanic would see as salvageable. Absolutely not. But we're not dealing with a normal mechanic. Mm -mm. This guy is not normal. He is a freaking genius. Now, its trucks and drive shafts were repurposed in World War II, and several trees had grown through its rusted frame. Granger removed the engine from the dense bramble of undergrowth and somehow managed to drag it back to his parents' barn. His workshop had gained the affectionate title of Sleepy Hollow Museum, due in part to the fact that the overgrown yard was riddled with old tractors, a bulldozer, train parts, dilapidated cars, steam pots from donkey engines, whatever that is, (laughs) most of which Granger had discovered while exploring the Kowicken Valley backcountry. Now, in less than two years, with nothing more than his wit determination tools, freight car trucks, and power transmission components at his disposal, 
Granger managed to restore the locomotive to its former glory. In 1973, the province of British Columbia purchased the steam engine and sent it out to tour with the museum train before putting it on display at the British Columbia Forest Discovery Center. He then got his pilot's license and restored a World War II P-40 Kitty Hawk to full flying capabilities. Like th- that, that's just, just thinking of trying to do that is insane to me. Like, How? I don't even know. I I have a hard time with a model. I have, I have a hard time changing my oil. <laughs> now, they said that he restored this Kitty Hawk using nothing but spare parts and an engine. For two years, the plane was on display outside a store on the island highway. He would later sell the plane into a private collector for $20,000. Sheesh. The genius mechanic became known as Gentle Ben due to him being six foot three and 240 pounds. Granger remained focused on understanding the nature of motion technology and soon had a passion for things that flew. While planes, trains, and automobiles intrigued Granger when he was young, it wasn't long before he was able to understand their functions and became a master of their assembly. It was then that he evidently became bored. Always seeking something new to test his intellect and mechanical knowledge, the now-respected craftsman turned his attention to a new and, for many, incomprehensible challenge. The seemingly unsolvable question of how UFOs could perform their aerial feats that so many eyewitnesses have claimed to have seen, and even more importantly, what it was that powered their allegedly interstellar journeys. Yeah, well, he gets this idea because around Dun- around that time in Duncan, there are several UFO sightings. We don't, we can't say that he saw it personally, but it was definitely the talk of the town that they was UFOs in them nar hills. It was one of the more widely known flaps at the time because yeah. it it happened over a couple of days, I believe, by many many eyewitnesses. Granger built himself a quasi-futuristic sanctuary beneath the fir trees not far from the house he shared with his parents, which was on the marshes of Sumnos Lake, which became known as Granger's Flying Saucer. We'll post pictures of it on our socials. Of course we will. Now, during the later portion of the 1970s, according to his stepfather, Granger, using his colossal industrial intelligence, spent over half a year constructing and welding a life-sized replica of a flying saucer out of spare parts he how found. Do we, oh, how do we know it's a life-sized replica? How do we know how big the UFOs are? Uh, I'm just being nitpicky. True. I'm just saying. In his 1985 book, In Advance of the Landing, Folk Concepts of Outer Space, Douglas Curran described the fantastic domicile. Quote, Granger built his spaceship out of two satellite receiving dishes and outfitted it with a television, a couch, and a wood-burning stove. He became obsessed with finding out how flying saucers were powered, spending hours sitting in the ship thinking and often sleeping there. End quote. The furnished saucer swiftly became Granger's home away from home. Once he got settled into it, he embarked on what would be his first meticulous stages of research and development. As he had no access to the, quote, real thing, Granger began his research into the UFO phenomenon by collecting all of the books that he could get his hands on, which was fairly easy in the 1970s. He then entrenched himself inside his welded steel shelter. (laughs) and began the grueling task of trying to understand the 
machinations of UFOs based solely on eyewitness accounts and pseudoscientific hypotheses that the authors of these books put forward regarding UFOs. A box overflowing with books on the subject of UFOs and unknown energy sources could be found inside his own personal UFOs. The titles featured works such as Frank Edwards' Flying Saucers, Here and Now, From Outer Space, Black Holes, and What We Really Know About Flying Saucers. It wasn't long before Granger's new hobby transformed him into a full-fledged obsession with the subject. When he went to town, the topic of how UFOs were powered was never far from his mind, and his friends would state that Granger never hesitated to bring the subject up. Now, like it happens with many highly gifted people, Granger's fascination with UFOs eventually waned as other subjects of interest cropped up, which is not uncommon when you deal with highly intelligent people. They get bored really easily. yeah. I get bored, and I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But as it seems... I I couldn't imagine being a genius... Trying to stay occupied. Fate had another hand. Or perhaps something more cosmic had a hand Uh in it. What could it be? Granger confided to his friend Nielsen that during one of his periods of self-imposed isolation aboard his saucer, he received what can only be referred to as a message from space. While lying on his makeshift cot... In his saucer, Granger claimed to have come into telepathic contact. In his saucer. That's just a great line. While in his saucer, (laughs) he was being telepathically contacted by an entity from beyond the Milky Way galaxy. This, for anyone who has studied UFOs, more specifically the contactee side of it, is considered to be a common occurrence. Being common and provable is another matter in itself. Nielsen would later describe to people what Granger had disclosed to him in December of 1969. Quote, he said it happened when he was in bed. He lay there and got mental communications with somebody from another galaxy. He couldn't see them. I said they can't just be mental, but he said it was like they were talking just to him and to his mind. He was asking questions about the means of powering their crafts. The only thing they would tell him was it was magnetic, end quote. There's no magnets in space. Come on. A few days following the gra- this, Granger informed Nielsen that he had heard the disembodied voice again, and this time the alien being invited him to go on a, quote, trip through the solar system. That's really not fair. Nope. I've not been invited. I'm not either. But again, I'm not a... Genius mechanic. Genius level mechanic, but I guess, you know, whatever. I mean, I guess they have being standards. I mean, is there any aliens out there that'll take an idiot podcast host? Or two. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, man, we were we heard that episode on Gary Sudbrink. We figured we're gonna take y'all to the stars. Yeah. <laughs> Do I need to pack or are we good? <laughs> Granger excitedly explained that he would not be informed until the end of the month as to where he would be picked up. But when the location of the rendezvous was revealed to him, he evidently chose or was instructed to not divulge this to his friends or his parents. Ooh. Little secret squirrel stuff. (laughs) Despite the fact that his friends had no idea when or where his alleged date with destiny would take place, Granger made no pretense at concealing his 
exhilaration about the coming journey and all that he was going to learn about the aliens' technology during his, quote, 42-month interstellar voyage. According to Nielsen, Granger was thrilled by his upcoming interplanetary odyssey. Granger's friends suspected that this was just an overreaction to a weird nightmare, something that was just another manifestation of Granger's eccentricity and humored him. But according to Nelson, I'm sorry, Nielsen, quote, everyone thought the trip was just a dream, but nobody entirely discounted Granger's stories. He was such an unusual sort of guy, end quote. Nevertheless, Nielsen reported that just a week before Granger's mysterious flight was to take place, he took a bunch of his buddies out for a night on the town and was intending it to be a, quote, sort of a going away party, end quote. On Friday, November 28, 1980, the evening before what would be considered by many to be Granger's last night on Earth, he entered his stepfather Jim's bedroom and had a long discussion with him. He expressed his affection and gratitude for all the man had done for him over the years. Jim had no idea that this would be his last conversation with Granger. Now, Granger's mother, Grace, was not on hand to speak with him due to her being in Hawaii taking the first vacation she had had in many, many years. Oh, wow. She would forever regret not being home that evening. Without the knowledge of his parents or friends, Granger prepared two wills with detailed instructions as to how his parents should distribute his possessions. Correct. Interestingly, the word, quote, deceased was scratched out on the wills to be replaced with the word, quote, departed. That's because he wasn't dying, bro. He was going to space. I mean, he wanted to be specific. I agree with you. I mean, why you why you look at me like that? Like, that was confusing. It's not confusing. That makes perfect sense to me. Now, at about 6 p.m. on Saturday evening, November 29, 1980, Granger entered Bob's Grill for dinner. His appearance did not raise anyone's suspicion because he was a regular at the diner for years. The last person to come forward and admit to seeing Granger was a woman who was working in the grill's kitchen by the name of Linda Barron. Linda would later tell authorities that she had seen him enter and dine by himself but was unable to recall if anyone had tried to talk to him. According to Nielsen, Linda did remember what he was wearing because a huge storm was coming in. Quote, she remembered he wore a brown knitted sweater zipped up front, a black t-shirt, he was never without, jeans and logger boots. He didn't have his winter coat. Strangely, his dad discovered the coat a couple of days later inside the sturdy doghouse that Granger had built for his huge Newfoundland dog, Lady. End quote. Linda then stated that Granger paid his bill and left the restaurant at about 6.30 p.m., just as the storm was starting to hit Duncan and the neighboring cities. It would be the last time anyone would lay eyes on the burly 32-year-old genius. Yeah, correct. <laughs> that same night, hurricane-force winds were reported in Port Alberni, and the power lines were down throughout Duncan and the surrounding area, enveloping the entire region in what was described as incomprehensible darkness. By dawn of the next day, the people of Duncan were picking up the debris left behind by the storm. There was also a murmur going through town. The rumor that was swiftly spreading was that Granger Taylor had vanished off the face of the earth. Well, before he goes, he's going to leave a letter to his parents. 
Yes. It's going to say, Dear Mother and Father, I have gone away to walk aboard an alien spaceship. As recurring dreams assured, a 42-month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe, then return. I am leaving behind all my possessions to you as I will no longer I no longer will require the use of any. Please use the instructions of my will as a guide to help. Love, Granger. Now, concerned about his son's situation and his mental state, Jim Taylor contacted the Royal Canadian Mounted Police or the RCMP for our people north of the border. I think they already knew that. Once you said the once you said the whole name out. You think they got the RCMP They're part? Like, oh, I bet that's the R- RCMP. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> the RCMP responded immediately, but after what Corporal Mike Dumchuk described as exhaustive checks of hospital, passport, employment, and vehicle records, not a single clue as to Granger's whereabouts could be discovered. According to Corporal Dumchuk, quote, Granger's name has Cor- been... Corporal Nunchuk? Yep. Okay. Granger's name has been put on the National Police Computer System, and the Motor Vehicle Branch in Victoria has been alerted in case Granger's driver's license, which expires this October, is renewed, end quote. Oh, it's expired by now, for oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> After Granger had been gone for more than four years, Corporal Demchuk admitted that what had perplexed him most regarding this case was the fact that the 1972 Datsun pickup truck that Granger had allegedly used to travel to his quote engagement was still missing. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty hard to disappear a truck. Yes. Sometimes it'll be found. Now the corporal would go on hard to say, quote, one would expect the car at least to be found. You just don't get rid of something that large without someone knowing about it. End quote. Knowing that it may well hold the key to his disappearance. The Taylors would, throughout the 1980s, occasionally take out newspaper ads offering a $100 reward for anyone finding their son's missing vehicle. They never received any responses, but the truck's registration expired in 1981, convincing many RCMP investigators that it was likely no longer on the road. Now we fast forward to March of 1986, and local forestry workers reported a lead they had found the wreckage of a vehicle somewhere near British Columbia's Mount Prevost, not far from the Taylor family home. It's a good, I mean, it's a, like a 10, 15-minute drive, maybe. That's, I mean, that's not horribly far, but that's a good piece of land. Now, the truck identified as a Datsun pickup had been blown to pieces by dynamite. Bone fragments were also said to have been found at the scene, and so it seemed as if Granger had been found. It was said that through the use of dynamite, he had taken his own life. And yet, what followed were more conflicting reports. Though some claimed that the police were able to match the vehicle identification number on the wreckage to Granger's pickup, others have argued there was a confusion as to the specifics of the vehicle, with some claiming Granger drove a bright pink truck and others saying it was a pale blue truck. Um... It's it's hard to mistake those two. You're going to know a bright pink truck. That's what I thought. How do you, like... I don't see how you get those two colors mixed no, up. No, you just don't. I think a blue and a green might be construed as maybe similar, but not a pink and a blue. And then one report stated some explosion had occurred 
and in its center were found the bones of an unknown man. Now, unfortunately, DNA tests in the early 80s were not real common. But the coroner did a bone analysis and concluded that the deceased was of the same age, sex, race, and height as Granger Taylor. A piece of cloth among the bones was very similar in pattern to Granger's favorite shirt. And then there were other reports that threw doubt on whether or not a vehicle was even found, with it being said that the logger actually discovered a crater in the ground and metal debris embedded in a tree, and that there was no indication that the debris actually belonged to a vehicle. I heard, I read that there were reports that there was a tire found in a tree. Huh. I didn't see that. Yeah. Now, the Wikipedia entry on Mount Sicker, Sicker, which is a relatively small mountain not far from Duncan, includes a short mention of the Granger-Taylor case. Quote, Mount Sicker may contain the answer to a local UFO mystery. In late November 1980, Granger Taylor, an unconventional genius and UFO fanatic, left his family a note saying he was going to travel on an alien ship for a 42-month interstellar voyage, and he and his pickup truck were never seen again. Many years later, local newspapers reported that a logger on Mount Sicker spotted a crater in the ground and metal debris embedded in a tree. It is believed that Granger was carrying explosives in his truck at the time of his disappearance. So you have conflicting reports of whether it's Mount Prevost or Mount Sicker. Hmm. And then it seems unclear, at least without confirmation from the RCMP, if the vehicle debris allegedly found on Mount Sicker was anything whatsoever to do with Granger's disappearance. But even assuming it does, the lack of any body on the scene just adds to the mysteriousness of this case. Well, that's not true. They did find a arm oh they said they found an arm see i never they saw them say they did oh something they said sorry i apologize clearly you didn't do your research like i did but i watched the spaceman short film on amazon prime which is my recommendation for this week um they actually found an arm hmm. and so they decided that that was him it's it's granger taylor and well you might say to yourself self well, they could just do DNA. Well, DNA didn't really exist. DNA testing really didn't exist. And they didn't save back it, did then. They? It's not that they didn't save it. It's that it's just gone. They don't know where those are. They didn't. I'm not saying they didn't save it. I'm just saying they cannot locate where those remains are in order to test DNA them. test them. So, hmm. yeah. Now, one of the main theories that and that's bad. That's who's bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the main theories that popped up after Granger's weird disappearance was that he had perhaps committed suicide, possibly by using explosives to blow himself up, and the note had just been his weird version of a suicide note. He was rumored to have known how to use dynamite. However, although he was an eccentric, mad genius by some accounts, all accounts from his family and friends stated he had not been suicidal at all. Granger's friend Robert Keller says the police worked very carelessly and that they wrote that the remains of the truck found on the mountain are Granger's blue pickup truck. However, I just don't understand how there's confusion about the truck. I don't either. His best friend, who was a 15-year-old at the time, which is kind of strange, but it was completely normal. Nothing like, I mean, not normal, but I'm not saying, like I'm saying there's nothing weird weird going going on, but. His 15-year-old friend, hold on, I'll find that guy's, what's that kid's name? 
Keller. Robert Keller. Robert Keller, yeah. Robert Keller, who is Granger's best friend, says it was a pink truck. Yeah, he says that the pickup was not at all blue, but pink with stripes. Yeah. Quote, so if your best friend, your best friend should know the color of your truck. Yeah. Just especially if it's pink. <laughs> If it's one of them our pink trucks, you gonna know it. He even said, he even specified Pepto Bismol pink. Well, there you go. Which is a very specific pink. Now he's on record of stating, "quote What they found there was not Granger's truck, and they have no idea whether his bones or someone else's." Despite this, his mental health had allegedly been deteriorating, and he was reported as having been doing a lot of LSD. The idea is perhaps the drugs played a role in alien speaking to him and that had pushed him into a psychotic episode that had driven him to suicide. Well, if anything's going to do it, LSD is a pretty good candidate. True. Just saying. Another idea was that Granger had some dynamite in his truck and it had accidentally gone off. He was known to keep sticks of dynamite in the vehicle for the purpose of blowing out tree trunks, so it's all, it is possible but again, his best friend, Robert Keller, disagrees with this theory of death by dynamite, either intentionally or by accident, and doubts the remains are even from Granger at all, saying, quote, Granger was too smart to have an accident up on the mountain. There's no way. He knew how to handle explosives. He was basically an expert. So when it comes to safety, that was his number one priority. It doesn't work with me. He wouldn't have had an accident, and he wouldn't have done it on purpose. The police said it was a blue truck, but his truck was a Pepto-Bismol pink. I helped him paint it with my buddy Darren. What they found on the mountain was not Granger's truck. They have no actual idea if it was Granger's bones or not. Granger was the most intelligent, down-to-earth, wise man that I've ever met in my life. He wasn't a nut. He was a very, very intelligent guy who carried on with his life normally. But after you say spaceman, then all of a sudden, he becomes a nut. End quote. Sucks when that happens. Now, like Coach alluded to earlier, there is the Kawikin connection, and that region is where Granger is from. And in that region, there was one of the most intriguing and best documented flaps in UFO history. And it occurred in the area just 10 years before. The events began at 11.59 p.m. on New Year's Eve, 1969, just miles from the Taylor home at the Quicken District Hospital. A nurse by the name of Doreen Kendall was tending to her patients when she and three other nurses saw a, quote, Saturn-shaped UFO with two humanoid occupants hovering outside the window. Saturn like the planet or Saturn like the car? Well, it would be the planet. <laughs> now, them, them Saturn cars are kind of ugly, but... I don't think they resemble a UFO. <laughs> this began an astonishing wave of sightings, which is chronicled in the article titled Night Shift Nurses and the Flying Saucer Men. It would be hard to believe that a presumably extraterrestrial encounter of this magnitude happening so close to home would not have a lasting effect on Granger's curiosity regarding UFOs and their occupants. These events could have planted a seed within Granger that would lead to his fascination of UFOs. Now, there are several other theories, including the old standby, he ran off to start a new life. Of course he did. 
but he gave away all his worldly possessions and the money that he could have used to start new life. Maybe he had secret new life money. Well, I never thought of that. Yeah. He's like, here's this 40 bucks I got in my wallet. It's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Another another theory was that he was kidnapped kidnapped by the U.S. government. Who? Kidnapped? Kidnapped by that USR, the U.S. government, and he was, or he was recruited by a secret agency or society for his knowledge. The Illuminati. They never come out and said it, but that's what I thought. The Illuminati got him. Another one was that he was killed for some secret technology that he had stumbled across. And the last one that I, it's not the last theory, but the last predominant theory was that he was actually taken away. By aliens, precisely as he described it. The only way that I will uh, accept an alien abduction is if they play "Come Sail Away" by Sticks when I enter. <laughs> when I enter the y'all heard it here first. If you hear, <laughs> if you see a flash of light and you hear Sticks playing "Come Sail Away," come sail away. Coach has exited come the planet. Sail away, come sail away with me. That would be amazing. I'd be like, all right, they're my people. I'm not coming back. There is no <laughs> way to know. All we can say for sure is that whether Granger was the victim of suicide, a secret cabal, a troubled mind, or he was truly whisked away to the stars by otherworldly beings, his odd case has never been solved, and it remains one of the strangest, most surreal disappearances there is. In an article published in the March 18, 1985 edition of Times Colonist titled his vanished son adrift in space, journalist Derek Sedinus described the then decrepit state of the once cherished UFO haven. Now, this is Granger's UFO hut. Quote, the silver spaceship sits on metal pillars under the trees at Jim and Grace Taylor's farm near Duncan. Its aluminum plate ramp door is ajar and broken. The Taylors suspect from children playing, but inside the large old sofa pot-bellied stove, and plywood sleeping ledge are much the way their son Granger left them, end quote. Now, Granger's disappearance continues to affect the people he left behind, not just his family, but the friends he gained as a genius of mechanical anthropology. Without a doubt, he was an uncannily brilliant, bright young man, and so according to Tyler Hooper, a consultant... <laughs> Hooper? Hey, why do you say it like that? A consultant who researched <laughs> Granger for a 2019 CBC documentary that Coach has already talked about called Spaceman. Available on Amazon Prime. Quote, if anyone could find a way to travel to another world beyond the cosmos, it would have been Granger Taylor. End quote. The only thing that we know for a fact is that on the evening of November 29, 1980, Granger Taylor vanished without a trace. On May 29, 1984, Granger Taylor's 42-month expedition was supposed to come to an end, and his parents, who kept the back door unlocked for nearly four years, eagerly awaiting their son's promised return, unfortunately never had him to come back home. So, theories, Coach, what do you think? I think he was abducted, man. I I don't think he was like... It it would be hard if you blow a truck up with dynamite. Mm-hmm. 
People going to hear that. And if you're in said truck, it's going to be real difficult back then to distinguish your identity. I agree, but they did find an arm. I know. I'm just saying. The only other thing that I would put stock in is if he was high, not high, if he was a heavy user of LSD, that could explain the Spaceman Avenue, but there are people out there that tell you that LSD unlocks the boundaries to communicate with other dimensions. So his LSD use doesn't really do it for me. I'm I'm on the side of the fence that says that um, he got on that ship and he gone like a flight of the navigator. They just couldn't bring him back. If they brought him back, he would, it, he would be so, or we all would be so old, it wouldn't be. That's that's what I'm saying. Like if he's traveling at multiple, like Einstein, who was a pretty smart dude, he's you know, he, he he proved that time slows down when you're going fast. And if you watched that movie Interstellar with uh, Matthew McConaughey, I have not. It's a good movie, really. It really is. And they <laughs> go into that whole thing about how. Basically, when they leave the planet, everyone they know will be dead by the time they get back because mm-hmm. of the... Exactly. So, uh, Granger may be on like month four, for all he knows, and we're all just like, you know, it's been 40 years, Granger. You said 42 months. You said 42 months. It's not the same. And then he'd be like, but when I was in so-and-so <laughs> galaxy, that was 42 months. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I just... I don't know, but the mystery here, really, uh, there's two mysteries if if it's not his truck. Whose truck is it? What happened to said truck? Whose arm is that? Whose arm is that? And then, where did that arm go? I want to know where the arm's at. It's probably with Kennedy's brain. Oh, yeah. that's, That's so weird, too. We should do one on that. If you don't know, folks, Kennedy's brain's been missing for a long time. I want to do an episode. There's probably like a billionaire somewhere in, in <laughs> Dallas that's like right on his coffee table. What's well, an interesting story. See, back in November 1963. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to do an episode on Last Meals. Yeah. Do you have that book? Yeah, uh, somewhere. Yeah, the eccentric last meal, mm-hmm. like the one in Texas where the guy ordered a like a metric. I don't know if it's Texas, but one state, this guy ordered a metric crap ton of food. I mean, probably about a thousand dollars worth of food and didn't need a bite. And from that from that day on, that state, you get whatever they serving in the cafeteria that day. Well, see, my question is, who cooks that shit? The cooks in the kitchen. So or you're, if, or if you order out, something. You're telling me if my la- if I wanted for my last meal, I wanted a 22 ounce ribeye with lobster tail and some other fancy ass cheesecake that I could dream of. Well, probably they'll the go out and get it. They'll go out. Crooks in the it. kitchen are gonna they'll put their go testicles in my food. <laughs> they'll go out and get it. Okay, so they're gonna Uber eats it. It just depends on state by state. We're getting way off topic, but state by state, what I know one state is you can have whatever they have in the kitchen. Not necessarily what they're serving, but whatever they have, and they purposely keep frozen steaks. So do they let you go in there and like look through it like at a grocery store? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
Okay, we need to do an episode on that. Okay. For, my, we'll do a Patreon on it. Yeah. Might do a bonus. 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 All right, ladies and gentlemen, we get into recommendations. Coach, you can go ahead and restate yours. What is it? Uh, your recommendation. Oh, Spaceman. It is a short film based on Granger. It's available on Amazon Prime. If you have it, watch it. All right, so my recommendation is Interstellar, the movie with Matthew McConaughey, because it explains some of the craziness with traveling off this planet. Coach, you got anything else? You know I don't. Deuces.